Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Three of Seven podcast. So uh, this episode is part two with uh, my brother Dash. And for some reason, when I went to upload this episode, I tried to upload it all as one, but somehow it got cut short. So this part two with Dash uh, picks up where part one left off. Uh, Dash is getting ready to go in back into surgery to have his lung removed. And um, so many stories coming after that, including Dash's battle with uh, COVID-19 and uh, what his future missions are. So sorry about the split, but here is part two. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, The stories just keep getting better and the inspiration just keeps getting stronger. Here he is, Mr. Dash. And I walked out of that ICU a month later, and I was home. <clears throat> and I wish the story got in, got better from there, but it didn't. Because uh, I'm right when I got home after living a a month in the ICU in Portsmouth, I got a phone call from uh, Duke University about my tumors, and they found out that it was malignant, and uh, I was labeled at stage two adenocarcinoma, which is lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so that started a whole new process where I had to drive down to North Carolina consult with them they couldn't do the surgery on me but they removed my lung because i had no blood and the chances of me making out of that surgery are really rough so he's like i need you to heal for another month and get your blood levels back up take a bunch of iron supplements and then we'll put you under and remove your lung so now after going through everything that i already went through to losing all my blood now i'm in re- recovery mode to go back under the knife. Yeah. Yeah. You got a whole month of this, this lingering over you. It's like, you're trying to recover knowing the whole time that you're about to have to go back under the knife and have your lung removed, which is no freaking joke, man. It is gnarly. Yeah. It was, it was a lot to, I, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, had the Navy SEAL foundation. If I could do a quick shout out was tremendous, man. Like I didn't, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really know what the organization stood for. I didn't know what they really did for uh, families, for us. And, you know, I did all the, the Navy SEAL Foundation campouts with our kids and yeah. volunteered times making hot dogs and whatnot. But that's all I really saw. I didn't really see the 52 other chapters that they have going on at the foundation, whether it be scholarships or, you know, prosthetics and like all the stuff that they do. Yeah. But man, they flew like my best friends from high school, like kids, like kids that I grew up with. and guys that I went through boot camp with or guys that I had a close relationship with, they flew them out to Virginia beach and they got them a place to stay and they got them rental cars and they got my kids Christmas presents. And they took my kids out camping and I had, I had meal trains coming from like every single seal command in Virginia beach. And I had guys stopping by my house from different squadrons I've never met before. And like just sitting down talking with me, it was so tremendous and from an organization that I didn't even know like what they did. Yeah, and yeah. if it wasn't for them, man, like I don't know where we would be mm-hmm. because they, they even helped with like some payments for like our, our mortgage. And that's powerful. We, man. You know, I just kind of, it was really powerful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they're pretty great. So but, you, so you go, so you, 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 you obviously get to a point where you're able to have this, this, this lung removed in order to get this cancer outside of your body and uh gosh dude and i mean i i can only imagine the recovery was crazy and your life probably uh although you were i guess 
done with the cancer portion, your life had to have changed drastically after that, man. And I mean, how was yeah. it, man? Like, just the, it had to be tough, most, dude. The most devastating part for me wasn't cancer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the fact that I, I had all these new uh, disabilities and breathing issues. Um, the fact that I couldn't run. Yeah. Um, the part that destroyed me was right before I went down to Duke, I was sitting down with uh, some of the guys from the command and I was telling about my circumstances and I knew that by, from, from their gestures and the way they were beating around the bush that my career was over. Yeah. And that was the hardest pill for me to swallow. Mm-hmm. I spent 16 years of my life dedicated to this brotherhood and this team, this family of everything that I called home. And now to get diagnosed with cancer, to get my lung removed, to be medically disabled the rest of my life and to lose um, the community that I sp- I've worked so hard to get into. And I, it's inevitable. It's coming for everybody, right? Like yeah. either you make it 20 years or 22 years or you do five years, you do four years. Um, nothing could prepare me for, for that, that notion. So when I went to Duke, the surgery wasn't in the back of my mind as like my biggest issue or having no lung. Um, it was knowing that I was never going to be downrange again yeah. in that capacity that I used to be. And just contemplating like, the, I, mean, I hate to say it, the brotherhood turned into the cousinhood really quickly. Yeah. And not, not by any fault or any means from my, my best friends, the guys I, I went downrange with, but the, at the capacity that these guys train and operate at, like second, third-hand parties of, of you know, health issues are kind of low on the totem pole at, when they're trying to think of X, Y, and Z and getting these people downrange. A hundred percent. It got, it has I, to keep rolling, man. It does. It's a machine, you know? Yeah. We always hear the analogy, like, you know, at the command, as big as you think you are, you're a battery. Once that battery gets drained out, they're going to chuck you out and stuck in, stick in a new one. That's it. <laughs> and, um, I understood that notion, but man, talk about ego and talk about pride and, and honor all gone. And that's how I felt. Mm. I felt used. I felt, I remember being in the, in the recovery room after I had my surgery and it wasn't anything different than my other surgeries. It sucked. It was in a lot of pain. It's doable. It's doable. You lay in a bed, you recover, like you do it. It's, it's fine. It sucked. But what killed me was like, I'm useless. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what service I can provide. You know, I had a, I had a country that relied on me and now I don't know what I'm going to do next. Like I'm going to be jobless. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my bills. I don't know what I'm going to do as a profession. Like I've felt so much pain, anguish, felt lost, super scared. And uh, it made recovery really, really tough for me. Um, I went into a deep, deep, deep depression. Um, Especially when I got back home from, from Duke, it was so bad that I didn't even want to sleep in my own house anymore. I want, I, I had a tent that I put in the backyard of the house mm-hmm. and I'd set the tent up and I felt more at peace being by myself and away from everybody than I did being around my own family. So I was in, I was in so much hurt and so much pain and nobody under, nobody could understand that. The only people that could understand that are you and me. Yeah. It's like my family didn't get it because I'd never invested that much love into my family as I did with my guys. That's it. And it was wrecked, man. It was wrecked for months. I was drinking way more than I should have, wasn't taking care of my body. I wasn't in a healing state that I should have been because I was, I was hurt. I, 
and it just it was just a very very tough part of my life where i just didn't know what was next i had no idea i went through day to day i took care of the kids but i felt so helpless and i remember my my nurse case manager the command one day called me up and uh, she's like how are you doing x y and z what are you doing with this and i was like yeah fine 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 She's like, you know, you need to be walking a lot. She's like, in order to recover from lung surgery, you need to walk, mm-hmm. uh, get your lung expanding and doing all this stuff. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll get it. And I got, I got hung up the phone and I took it as like, oh, maybe I'll go walk like a five miler out, the, out in the country. <laughs> so I did, I did a yeah. little five mile walk, you know, walking around. I get back home and I just like my, all my ribs are seizing up. My back is killing me. And I lay down, I wake up the next day and I do a three miler. And then the next day I do a two miler. The next day I do a five miler again. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I mean, I'm popping all these uh, oxycodines and trying to get through with it. And I'm, a nurse, and I'm talking to this nurse case manager. I was like, look, you told me to walk and do all these exercises. Like it's, I'm, I'm in so much pain. And this is like, I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, how far are you walking? How many steps? And she asked, <laughs> how many steps are you walking? 10,000. <laughs> like, we talking about steps. You ever told an operator how many steps he did in a day? Yeah. I give a shit about steps. <laughs> and I'll go for miles, man. Miles. Oh she's like, miles. She's God. like, I meant walk to the kitchen and back. She's mm-hmm. like, I meant walk to the kitchen and back. Walk to your mailbox. She's like, that's how you go do my. I was like, you told a tier one operator to go walk a lot. What do you think I'm going to go do? Yeah, you, no you kidding. You don't bro. realize the, the caliber of person you're talking about. So, so you know. Um, and and so, dude, I mean that that place that you were in, you know, there. What what was the moment that that I guess was was there or was there like a distinctive moment where God revealed to you what your new purpose was? I mean, did did that come uh, quickly or did it develop over time? I mean, it came. It came. Shot, shot, shot heart like arrow. It was my son, my oldest son, mm-hmm. Dash Junior. He was four at the time, and I'm standing. I'm sitting on my front porch. I just took. I remember I took two oxycodone. I tapped my cell phone alarm on a timer, so every three hours my cell phone would go off, and I'd take more uh, painkillers. So anyway, I just took these two, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling lethargic and buzzed out. I don't feel any pain, but I'm useless, man. Like I just sit there. Yeah. My son is there. My son is out in the front yard, and he's. And my son's amazing with the baseball bat. And he's got this baseball. He's like, hey, dad. He's yelling at me. And I was like, what? And he throws his baseball at me. And I don't even have like the reflexes to put my hand up and catch the ball. The ball just hits me right off the head. Boom. And I remember it hits me. It bounces off my head. My head walks back a little bit. I put my hand on my head. It's like, dang. And I'm like, and I looked at him. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. And my son looks at, my son looks at me so confused. And he's like, dad, you're boring. And like when he said that, it is like, you know, someone turned the key in a car and got the car started. And I was like, no, no, your dad's not boring. It's like, what am I doing with myself? Like, what's going on? Like, I'm so numb to the world around me that I can't even play with my son who's standing in front of me. I'm doing all this fighting to survive so that I can be a father to my kid, but I'm not even fathering him. Wow, man. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even staying there for him. So I started to change, you know, I, was like, I started to play more baseball with them. So instead of taking two oxycodones for pain, I took one. And instead of taking one, all of a sudden I just went cold turkey. And I remember I, why I did it 
And it's just like a sinister way that we think our, you know, operators have a mentality of like, I wonder how bad it can be. Like, I wonder what's how, how much pain am I actually in right now? I remember wanting to feel it. Like I was like, I want to feel how bad my body is. And I just went cold Turkey and uh, the pain was surreal. Like it was bad, but it, I could still walk around. I could still think just somewhat. I couldn't critically think, but I could still react and play with my kid and, do jokes i wasn't incapacitated as well as trying to get at like i wasn't like this vegetable it was useless uh i wasn't a lot of pain but I, I was me i was sober and i and i remember I, I i told myself i'd much rather feel this way and be able to react with my son than to be numb to the pain that i have inside and not be able to be good for anybody yeah and then and so much more perspective came in and like there are so many times where I did ask, why me? Like, why, why do I have cancer? Like, what is your purpose in my life? Like, where are you trying to lead me? Where are you trying to take me? And instead of, and then I'd switch my perspective again. Uh, I got hit really hard this one night where the Roman soldier thrust the blade into Jesus while he's hanging on the cross to verify if he was dead. Mm -hmm. And then all the water and blood poured out of the spear. We stabbed him right here under his rib while he's while he's on the cross yep and i just felt like this direct connection uh, it was the holy spirit that came upon me whereas it, it was something that the lord went through while he was on the cross and i have this scar and it was like this this bonding kind of kind of deal where i was like you went through all this and more yep. you went through so much more than this and i've got this scar you know like we put tattoos in our bodies as reminder pay homage to somebody or a lost brother yeah. And all of a sudden I looked at this scar as not a disability, but a, more of like a, like, I, I get you. Yeah. Like I, I, I could never experience everything that you did, but I now I have this cool tattoo and I, I have a perspective of what you went through ish, not even close that nothing surmounts to it. Yep. And then I started feeling better about myself. I mean, like, but I'm gifted life. Like you have me here for a reason. So I can either lay on this this deck and be useless, or I can make big use of myself. And uh, my son again, Dash Junior, he's you know the Lord speaks through the children, and, and he came up to me one day and he looked at my Volkswagen. I have a Volkswagen bus. I have two of them. And my son goes, Dad, I really want to go camping again. He's like, When do we get in this van? He's like, I want to go across the country. He's like, we should live in the van and like chat and like we should like we should go rock climbing, Dad. We should go fishing. I looked at my van. I was like, well, the van doesn't run. And, you know, it's been sitting there for five years and it needs a lot of work. And my son comes out with my toolkit. There's a bag. I comes out with this tool bag. He's like, let's do it. Let's get to work. And yeah. And all of a sudden, all this, all this pity. And that's really what I had about myself. I wanted, I had pity. Like I want, I wanted, I wanted pity. Like I wanted people to see how miserable I was. And it's so easy to get, um, to fall into like this and not, I don't know how to explain it. Like where everyone's taking care of you, where you don't need to do anything because people are just going to come in and take care. It's so easy to get so lackadaisical. Right. And yes. be like, well, everything's, you know, I've got food and what do I got to worry about? Just pop these pills and feel numb. But that's not how, that's not how I was designed. That's not how, you know, special forces guys are designed. We, we were forged in fire and pain and anguish and sweat and guts and misery. And through it, we, we accomplished great things because we, we uh, persevere. We have this, this drive 
that that seeks that seeks the challenges ahead. Like we don't run from them, we look for them. Yep. And and all of a sudden, I was like, I don't want people to feel pity for me. Instead, I want people to to be motivated by me. Like I can be a beacon. And then I started feeling like it's like, man, I got all these issues where I'm complaining about myself. And I remember going to NICO, and NICO is where uh, you know they study your brain and look for concussions and. Yep tell you that you got sleep apnea and all this stuff. I remember going to NICO and seeing a bunch of my, my, my buddies with missing legs, and missing fingers and arms and face deformed and missing jawlines. And like, we're all going through this thing and talking about war stories together. And I'm looking at all these guys like, dude, you guys are way more messed up than I am. Like physically, mentally, yeah. we're all the same. Yeah. But like physically, like you walk around with a prosthetic, you walk around with two prosthetics. You can't walk. You're in a wheelchair. And, uh, and I was telling these guys, cause you know, you got to file for disability and put in all your paperwork. And I was like, I feel horrible putting in for this stuff because I can walk and I can breathe and I can laugh. You know, I'm still in pain. Yeah. You guys are in way more, uh, you're way more disabled than I am. And that's when like reality really hit me. And, uh, is this old, uh, CMC, uh, seal who's in a wheelchair and he came up to me and smacked me upside the head at Nyko. We were sitting in the red room. He just smacked me in the back of the head. And he's like, uh, of course, you're swearing. And he had a big old shoe in. Yeah. And he's, and he's like, oh, what did he say? It's something about, like, like, don't take pity on me and put it on yourself. He's like, I'm not. And he, and he, he drew this line. He's like, you look at me and you see someone disabled. He's like, did you ask me if I was disabled? I was Man, like, no, I didn't. That's powerful, dude. It's- and I was like. Yeah, there's so many yeah. powerful moments in that, dude. Because not only not only that instance right there, but but dude, thinking about uh, that moment that you had that mental shift, and then and then also refocusing your your sight back onto your Savior, man, back onto Jesus, and then and then because He is the ultimate example of uh, uh, the the example that He has set is the ultimate example of bringing your flesh into subjection. And it's the ultimate example of love and suffering and the whole nine yards. And then how you connected that part of his death and his agony with that scar that you now that you now have on your body permanently. Like that that to me, what I immediately thought when you told me that, Dash, was like I I I want people to understand all all parts of scripture all parts of the bible they were written for you and i god has preserved those words for you and i and that portion of scripture was written specifically for you that part of jesus's story was written specifically for you and is that not just dude that just is just awesome brother i just had to make that connection right there dude yeah i feel that i feel that right now coming over me but you know like he he tells thomas to put his put your hand put your hands through my my hands yeah put your hand in my scars yep and yeah i feel that it was and, it, and it was it, man it's it, so, so profound to, to understand a, a relationship with the divine with with the holy with with god the creator of everything to have this one-on-one connection with him where he comes to you and he's chosen you and he's written the scripture 
for you 2,000 years ago because he knows where your life's going to be. He knows exactly when you're going to need that perspective in scripture. Yeah. Like no one can do that for you. No, like, man. That's uh, it's pretty cool. unbelievable, brother. I mean, just that connection right there is just, uh, <coughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's powerful to me personally. Um, so dang, dude, I'm just like, this story just continues, man. Like, because obviously you go out, you get the, you, you, you get the van ready. Um, and that's when I met you was when you were traveling in the van. I think that was kind of the first part of that, that journey. You're the first person I ever met in the van. Actually, that dude, wild man, yeah. just wild man. And and I, that was through the Navy SEAL Foundation. So I I joined Elite Meet, which is like a veteran transition uh, think tank for uh, spec op guys, so SEALs, uh, EOD, and fighter pilots, and uh, trying to figure out how I was going to get a job or what I was going to do. And uh, they flew me out to New York City to Vayner Media, and Gary V is like this influential social media influencer uh Haas posh guy who like knew amazon was going to take it off before it did and um very successful but anyway we're in this room with his think tank uh group talking about jobs and job placements and resumes and all this boring stuff but they asked a really important question in the room and they said you know everyone looks to apply for a job to have you know income and whatnot what you miss is the biggest opportunity to do something that you believe in He's like, you guys already did that being in, in those special forces programs that you, you did. He's like, but nothing changes from the moment that you transition out of the military uh, to civilian life in terms of goal placement. He's like, when you had a, when you had a goal to join this, this elite special forces group or whatever you did, become the best fighter pilot in the world, that was your goal. And then you accomplished it. But there was a whole roadmap in between the, of unknowns, but you knew it the end goal, I'm going to do this. He's like, well, a lot of times when people transition out of the military, you, you start to chicken scratch at any opportunity you can have just to provide for your family because you don't yeah. know what's in the real world. He's like, when in hindsight, you actually have the greatest opportunity in front of you. You're more qualified than anyone. You have more tenacity, uh, more motivation. You have more reliability, like more, you have so much ahead of you than most people that come out of college. He's like, all that you're lacking is focus. He's yep. like, so with that, instead of looking for a job or, you know, like looking through people that are hiring for positions, he's like, what do you really want to do in life next? He's like, you know, a lot of us, we tend to answer those questions vaguely. He's like, if you remember being in school, what do you want to grow up to be? And we all say we want to be astronauts or doctors or X, Y, and Z. Well, the reality is we don't really become those because we kind of fall in the society construct of like, where our parents want us to go or what our friends end up doing. We kind of follow them. We, like, forget our true, different. We, we forget our true potential is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, but he's like, but you guys are against the norm. You're against the grain. You guys went out and done what only 1% of the entire world has ever tried to do. You, you got you to, you got to live 60 years worth of <laughs> life in, in 30 years, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then he asked the room, there was, I mean, maybe 20 of us, in there all looking for jobs. He's like, does any of you have some type of desire or something you want to accomplish or some type of position or business that you could start up? Like, let me hear about some ideas and then I can mentor you. He's like, cause to be honest, I don't need to hire any of you guys. Like I don't really have positions. 
He's like, but I would love to mentor you guys into your next thing in life. And I stood up and I remember I, I didn't have X, Y, and Z lined up, but I remember I had the three things that I really enjoyed doing. And one was working on my Volkswagen. It was flying paramotors, which is a parachute with a fan. And it was hanging out with my bros, like vets, uh, service members, whether they were, you know, whether they're a corpsman, whether they were a CB, whether they were a ET guy or a comms guy, like all these guys are my brothers. I loved them to death. Like, I don't know, it just is a camaraderie of being in the service that I really admired. We all have this relationship where we can share stories and understand them where other people wouldn't. And I told, I told this guy that, and I was like, I have these three things and I have a Volkswagen. And I was thinking, I was like, I was thinking about maybe doing like a series where I travel across the country and share veteran stories, but I want to do it to a way where I can give back. So maybe if I was like a big time social media influencer where, you know, I could interview all these veteran brands across the country and post them on my page and bring them more publicity. So they get more business. Um, I was like, that'd be awesome. Um, so that's pretty much how the, the, I started off as soft Vanavlog, um, special operation forces, Vanagon video log. And my, my whole mission was to just, just to relate to uh, veterans that already transitioned out to share their stories on my platform and to really give some focus and, uh, and, and drive to service members who are still in to, uh, to show them like the pathways that people have made for themselves. Yeah. And ultimately uh, the Navy SEAL Foundation linked me up with Killcliffe, which is a, a, a sports recovery drink company. Um, and, you know, our owner of the company is a Navy SEAL. The company was founded by Navy SEALs. And every year we give back to Navy SEAL Foundation. So I kind of lined up with them. And, I'm, you know, we had a goal. Uh, John Timar was like, hey, we're on this march to a million this year. And our mission is to make a million dollars for the Navy SEAL Foundation. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about firing me up with the mission. I now had something to achieve and I was now I was back in the fold, right? I felt like yep. my actions that I was going to do were going to help support maybe someone who got in the same predicament as I did, or, you know, someone that gets shot down range or gets injured. Like now I'm providing a service to give back to these guys. It's like you can't, you can give me something more powerful and impactful in my life. Yeah. That purpose, that purpose dude purpose. is so dang essential, man. It is. And I now had purpose and focus and, and I started living in a van. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, and I, I followed the journey, man. You know, I, obviously, that's when we met. You came out to uh, our event that we had there at Merchant's Mill Pond and um, hung out. And Killcliff gave us a bunch of drinks. And um, I got to follow you and your journey on social media. And, you know, it was just uh, it was awesome what you were doing. And, uh, it's so cool that, that you found that purpose, man. And, you know, that journey, what was that, was that always meant to be like, just kind of like a year long thing or, or because obviously now you guys are, I guess you guys are living in a house now again. And how, how did that, how did that kind of pan out? And, and, uh, and what, I guess, what was the major takeaway from that journey? Everyone said I was crazy to do it. Um, they said, I don't know how your wife is a saint. I don't know how you got your family to jump in that train, live in a van. I remember seeing you guys making pancakes and making meals in that <laughs> thing, dude. And me, you used to do the live videos of y'all making breakfast in the morning and me and Brooke would watch them and be like, how in the world are they doing that? Because your sons are like, they definitely are the embodiment of you and your wife. Like they are the adventurers 
never, never quit mentality, not scared of anything, barefoot, um, just yeah. go hard, man. So we, we watched yeah. you guys close, dude. I uh, appreciate it. Um, it was, it was actually my wife's idea to, uh, to sell all our things. And, um, she's watching some Netflix show, this, uh, Japanese lady, Maria Kondo or something where she like folds all this clothes and gets rid of all the stuff that she doesn't need. She's like, we should do that and just move all our stuff into the van and travel the country. She's like, I know you're stressed out about mortgage. And what happened was, uh, I lost all my special pays, right? So yeah. because I wasn't operating downrange and I wasn't in a, I wasn't jumping anymore. I lost all my jump pays, my hazard duty pays. I lost all my special pays. So it was, a, I lost half my pay, yep. which is crazy, crazy to me. Like 50% of my pay just cut. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't afford any, I can't afford to live here. And we weren't living like, we were living very modestly, you know, it just blew me away. And she's like, well, let's just sell the house. It's just stuff. We don't need it. And I was like, but this is, you know, this is what we've been building. Like this is our foundation. This mm -hmm. is our family. And she's like, no, it's not. She's like, well, let's go travel. Let's, let's listen to God. Let's, let's see where he wants us. She's like, I don't think I, she's like, I know she told me this. She's like, I know he doesn't want us here. Yeah. And I was like, well, all right, let's do it. So the whole mission, it was kind of threefold, right? One, it was to maintain my sobriety uh, from opioids because I was on them. I relied on them so heavily. It was to um, find out a different way to manage my pain. Mm -hmm. um, and it was two, to connect to the Lord and to figure out our next, um, our next uh, endeavor in life where he wants us. And there's three to make a difference in the, in, in the, in our veteran community. Like that was my three main goals. Yeah. Um, and then all, oh, of course, ultimately is to like bring our family closer together, like to work together as a team. And now I kind of had like a deployment mission, right? That's so right. Like, uh, <clears throat> the first, the first few months were tough because I'm so mission oriented and timeline oriented and have to have all my ducks in a row and had to have like interviews lined up and I was just a nightmare on the road. Like I was a stress case. And my wife's like, you can't, you can't live this way. She's like, you need to trust that the Lord's going to provide this. He does the birds and the trees. And, um, he's like, she's like, don't worry about these things. Like you need to just enjoy everything that he has for us. Kind of like you said, like the miracles are everywhere in life. You just have, you just have to choose to look at them. Yep. And, uh, once we started going across country, like I started seeing, and it may not look like the miracles to others, it was miracles to my eyes. Like the, the testimonies, the, the people that we met, the, the pain that people shared with me that opened up their hearts of things that they had that happened to them overseas or things they were stressed out with things that they're doing with. And the great things that, that veteran brands were doing across America for communities and for churches and for uh, sports organizations. I was blown away at, at the response that I got from like this community I've never met. Yeah, people opening people opening up their doors, meet, meeting people like you. I would have never met you if I didn't. That's true. In my house, never. And uh, it turned into this. What What does the Lord have in store next? Like we started being in awe in this road trip of like wondering what opportunity is He going to open up? What doors is He going to open up? Who are we going to have to pray for next? You know, like we're popping into all these different churches and sharing our testimonies and. uh well, long story short, we end up in Colorado by a, by a whim. We're driving through Texas, uh, just about through Austin, Texas. And I got a phone call from a nonprofit organization called um, Operation Healing Forces. 
and uh, they basically take uh, spec ops guys who go through trauma and they take uh, them and their significant other, their wife or their husband, mm-hmm. and they put them up for a weekend or uh, for a week for uh, six days. Um, and they just, they allow them just to reconnect and do nice fun outdoor activities together and to eat meals together and bond and heal over the, the pain and trauma. So they called us up and they said, Hey, we have a opening in Aspen uh, next week. And they said, you'd be a perfect candidate. We would love to have you guys out. And I was like, well, we're living in a van and we're in Austin, Texas. And we got two kids. And they're like, well, you can't have kids. come." <clears throat> so my wife got on Facebook and she reached out on, on Facebook. She's like, we're in Austin, Texas. Do I have any friends or family near the area? It just so happened we had a Amanda had a cousin that lived just north of Austin, had a boy, and she's like, "Come on down, we'd love to see you and your kids." We and Amanda hasn't seen uh, her cousin must have been over a decade. Wow. So we go down to their house, and without without hesitation, she's like, "Oh, we'll take your kids for the week. You guys go on that retreat." And uh, her husband is a Marine. He was uh he was there and we were kind of rel- talking, sharing stories. He was sitting in the Volkswagen and he's like shaking his head. He's like, Dude, I don't know how you guys are doing all what you're doing. But uh they took our they they watched our kids and our dog for six days while we flew up to Aspen. Um and I got to I got plugged into a community out here where um we basically got invited back. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of shared my story with some of the some some of the organizations out here in the valley. And they're like, man, if you're in a van and you guys are just traveling, you might as well come through here and stop here for a week. He's like, there's so many people I want, want you to meet, so many people I want you to plug into. So we took that as like a Lord's invitation of where he wanted us to go because we had no direction. Yeah. And, uh, so that's what we did. We ended up going through Independence Pass and our Volkswagen at 10 miles an hour, uh, which was brutal. <laughs> brutal i gotta and, um, you gotta send me a picture of that van dude we're gonna definitely have to put that when we when we promote this podcast because people just don't yeah. get it man yeah and yeah. we got to the top of this mountain range and the van just gave up it just was done like the lord like pulled out all the spark plugs or did something wow. the van just basically i'm not kidding we coasted down the uh an independence pass so we're at tw- uh 12 almost thirteen thousand feet we coasted down the entire mountain range and we landed in aspen valley van- so basically our home is broken down we don't know what we're doing there it's the first night and i make a phone call to one of the guys i met at the retreat i said hey you told us to come down and, you know van kind of broke down a little bit so we're here in aspen he's like you're in aspen I was like yeah he's like he's i'm gonna drop you a pin he's like can you bring the van to this location I was like, oh yeah, I can bring it there. I can limp it there, you know? Yeah. And he's like, perfect. He's like, just be there about five o'clock. Little did I know it was Jimmy Buffett's house. <laughs> and they were doing a huge military charity fundraiser uh, for disabled vets to come skiing on the mountain for the, the winter season. Like wow. guys, that are, yeah, paraplegics and everything. They take them out in the mountain, teach them to ski, teach blind service members to ski, like super powerful so I show up in the Killcliffe van sponsored by the Navy SEAL Foundation with a bunch of sports drinks. Yeah. And people are just, I mean, people are in suits and ties and, you know, the top notch champagnes and butlers coming around with these fancy dishes and poo-poo platters of shrimps and stuff. And I'm in, I'm in my cry cami bottoms. My hair is just flowing. Beard is 
about half as long as yours. Yeah. Kid, kids jump out of the van half naked. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, oh. that's your, that's that's brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't, we don't, we don't really fit into this crowd, but little did we know we, I mean, they embraced us hard. I mean, got, guys were sitting down with us. hotel owners. were sitting down with us, congressmen. I mean, I met so many cool people just on that night. And then we got invited to this church, Cornerstone Christian, uh, Christian church um, on Saturday, which was Dash Jr.'s birthday. Mm-hmm. And there was so many things lining up where it was like the Lord was kind of ringing these bells in, in, my, in, my, in, my, hot, in my head. And uh, when I got to the church on Saturday, the pastor was like, he's like, I heard a little bit about your testimony. He's like, do you mind sharing like pretty much everything I'm doing with you? He's like, do you mind sharing with me how the Lord's worked in your life? And I gave him, we talked for like three hours. And uh, he's like, I've never done this. He's like, he's been preaching for almost 40 years. He's like, I've never done this ever. He's like, but I'd really like you to come up in front of the church tomorrow and speak to, uh, you know, our entire congregation. I yeah. was like, well, sure. It was like, I, I wouldn't hesitate a dime. I'd love to share the Lord's testimony. And, you know, if it could help somebody out through their tough times and give God all the glory, I'd, I'd be honored to do that. I didn't know the church was over 300 people. I thought it was going to be like a little church of Christ that I went to. Which yeah, was like yeah. 20 people on a good, on a good Sunday. And this place was huge. It was packed. And I had to be careful with my words and uh, because of OPSEC and all that jazz. And I didn't know what to say. And I remember praying, asking the, the Lord to speak through me and use me as a vessel and let his words come through me and, and let it in, impact people's lives. And <clears throat> dude, I tell you what, that Sunday we gave our testimony. My wife came up on, on stage with me. And in the very next day, Monday, she had two jobs. She had two job offers. And uh, so now she is the, uh, she's the outdoor education director for a Christian academy. And she was also a caretaker uh, for another guy. We were living in a horse stable um, while, while we were kind of going through all this. There's no horses in there. This is our van backed in there. Yeah. So a man is working at a man is working at this school and she's loving it. She's loving the community. I'm going on hikes and looking at God's beautiful creation of mountains and seeing the elk and seeing deer and turkey running around. And just like I was like, man, the caliber of people out here are just like me, like outdoorsy and friendly. And I was like, I really want to live here, but the average median home is $25 million in Aspen. Like wow. there's no way to afford anything out here. And uh, so I'm talking to my wife. I was like, you know, I think as I told her, my biggest worry is that we want to live here. And the Lord doesn't want us to be here. I was like, I don't, I'm worried that the Lord has, has his plans for us to go. And we've already, you know, told him that we're trusting him and we're going to go wherever he tells us to. And I was like, I feel like we're getting stuck put because this is all the things we like. And I was like, I just don't want to be blinded by what he wants for us. That's right. She's like, yeah. I understand. She's like, I understand that. And I said, I said, you know, well, let's pray. And I said, the, I said, if the Lord, you know, I, I didn't challenge it. I said, Lord, you know, if this is your will, if you want us to be here, I was like, we need these things. Like, I can't live in a van while my kids go through school. You know, I kind of need a place for, for our children, uh, some some stability in our lives. And I was like, and I'm going to need a job. So I wasn't making any money with Killcliffe. Uh, across country, but I was raising money for the SEAL Foundation. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to need a job. I'm going to need some income to put food on a table. And two days later, we get, a, we get an offer to live in an RV. This is a two bedroom RV, running water, toilets, hot water, stove, propane. 
Moving from a van, yeah, from a van to a to an RV was like moving into a Marriott. I bet it was, man. Oh my god, the kids had bunk beds; they had their own bedroom. Oh man, and I was blown away. As and a man was like, "See, the Lord wants us here." And I was like, "I was like, ah, oh. I still had these doubts in my heart, you know." I was like, "For so, I don't know. I just didn't want to be. I didn't want to get stuck. Like yeah. I was. I felt so free being on the road, and to know I could just pick up and move on." And uh, I just didn't want to get stuck. And I went on this hike through Crested Butte. It's a a 16-mile hike from Aspen over this giant mountain range. And I went with some of the guys from church. And these guys were like 70, 80 years old. And they were crushing it. They were like averaging like an 11-minute pace on this hike. Wow. And I I was like, you guys are booking. I'm huffing and puffing behind the pack. And I remember getting to the top of this mountain range. And sticking my hands in the dirt and looking at the wildflowers and taking a deep breath with my one lung and appreciating the air in my body, this fresh air and this environment. I, and I said, the Lord, I, I'm not hearing you right now. I was like, but I want to tell you, like, this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it here. This is nice. And I, uh, my pain inflammation went down because I'm higher up in altitude and the air is fresh. And I was, I was like, I really appreciate this. Um, and I, and I was like, I know you know what's on my heart. It's like, I'm going to need a job. And I had a job offer to be a ranch manager. It's uh, hard labor, uh, long hours. You're on call 24-7 to like take care of whatever goes on, on the property. Uh, great pay, though, <clears throat> and uh, free housing. Yeah. So that was my offer. And I was like, do I take that offer? So I went on this hike to pray to kind of see if I could get any guidance. And I got nothing. Like, I didn't get any word back from the Lord in the when I got home from the hike, Amanda was uh, my wife. She was asking me, she's like, Did, have you answered your phone? I was like, no, I didn't bring my phone. And she's like, well, you got like six missed calls from uh, John Tmar from Kilcliffe. And I was like, oh man, must be like, there must be some military event going on. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, well, this is where the Lord comes back. because like, I've got more stuff for you to do. Yep. And like it's time, time to move on. And I was like, okay, good. And I got on the phone with John. I'm talking. He's like, bro. He's like, he's like, you've been crushing it. You've been doing great. He's like, I got a position for you. He's like, no. He's like, yeah. He's like, I want to hire you on full time. And I was like, well, where do I was like, I can't move to Georgia. He's like, no, you, you live right there, wherever you're at. He's like, I want you to be a regional manager there in Colorado, manage the distributor network out there. And I was like, no way. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I just, I was like, yes, absolutely. And I, and I told my wife and she's like, I told you we're supposed to be here. So long story short, we live here in Colorado now. Uh, We live down in Glenwood Springs, which is down Valley from Aspen. And time and time again, the Lord's pulled through and um, we're blessed to be in a home. My son, the first thing my eldest son said when we got into this house, he's like, he's like, dad, he's like, do I get my own bedroom? He's like, yeah, pick out a bedroom. He's like, okay. He goes up and he runs back down. He's like, dad. The toilet flushes. I was like, what? He's like, the toilet. He's like, it's got water and it flushes. And I was like, I was like, yeah, man. He's like, it's my own bathroom. I was like, yeah. He's like, and he looked at, he looks up and he's like, thank you, God. And he runs back into his room and he's, yeah, you can hear him flush the toilet and he's playing with his brother up top. And That's awesome, man. And, and yeah, there's, gonna, there's so many, I think there's so many things to unpack in that story that you just told, man, and that whole that whole mission to to where you are now. And you know, what really resonated with me is um is you know, when I think when you're in life and you're you're a child of God and the servant of Christ and you're looking for that discernment 
uh, about you know where where you should where you should be where where God where do you want me and and you're not getting it sometimes God wants you to ask sometimes he wants you to tell him what you want and I think that he at times takes pleasure in giving you the desires of your heart but if you don't ask him that question uh, you know, he it's it's he, he wants you to ask because you know he wants to answer that to you and I and I just that moment that you explained to me where you you were at the top of that mountain and you you put your hands in the dirt and you took a big breath of air and you told him God this is where I want to be and uh, and thank you for this and that to me was like yeah, that was you uh, where you switched from basically saying God show me to saying. God, this is what I want. And then he loved you so much that he, you know, he wants to answer that. He wants you to be where you want, man. And that was just, I mean, to me, that's a huge lesson. And then two, you know, you going out and uh, on that hike there, right before you got that, that uh, position with Killcliff, you went out again, you took initiative and you went out on, on almost like a vision quest to seek God and you were taking that initiative, man, and uh, and then you you got your answer right at the end of. I call that a vision quest. I mean, because I do that all the time, man. I go out uh, on you know for three or four days at a time without my phone, and it's just primarily just to seek God. That's it. And um, you don't always find him out there on on the trail, and you don't always find him at the exact moment that you think you're going to find him. But shortly after that, he usually will honor. Uh, the fact that you took initiative to seek him and he will give you the concrete answer that you're looking for. And yeah. uh, in my mind, that's what he did for you, brother. I mean, just as I'm analyzing this from my perspective, you know, um, just as powerful lessons coming out of that, not only for uh, for everybody listening, but, you know, especially for the the listeners that, that, um, that the uh, the relationship that, that with, with God, that, that these, these lessons can really resonate with those people. So I mean that's awesome, brother. And we gotta hit. We gotta hit. If it's not too soon, we gotta hit this last dang furnace of adversity that you just <laughs> went through, dude. And when I saw this crap on on Facebook, my my wife came to me and she said, "Oh my gosh," she yeah. said, "Dash has has COVID nineteen," and I was like. No way. Like, it, yeah. it just like, dude, it hit me like a freaking rock, man. And then uh, Brandon called me that day. And no. uh, yeah, and he told me about it. And, you know, I just, dude, I was just, I did not know. I was like, if one of, if one person I know could have avoided, should have not gotten this virus, it was Dash. Like, yeah. Like what in the crap is going on? He's been through enough. Give the man a break, man. Uh, you know, my, my wife was sitting next to me in the bed while I was going through it, and she's she's uh, we've been through so much together that at sometimes you just have to laugh about your situation. And we were kind of laughing about it, and I wasn't laughing, but she's like, you know, the Lord only gives us what we can handle, and that's what it says in Scripture. And she's like, man, he must think he can take a whole lot. <laughs> you, man. But yeah, I, um, gosh, what, what did I, it was March, March, March 
10th. Yeah, March 10th. I went on a, uh, I went to Utah for a kill cliff experience with uh, military mobility. And uh, basically it's to honor the fallen, um, to honor our fallen brothers and comrades and, and to honor them in a way where we're outdoors and uh, appreciating the sacrifice that they had for the freedoms that we live and, and just paying homage and remembering their stories and who they were in the, and as a father and as a friend, we have all the names and leather patches that they made, but we're out there for a week. And, um, I got back and of course my wife didn't want me traveling on that trip because the virus is kind of fresh and, uh, I've got one lung and yeah. she's like, it's not smart. She's like, you should probably not do it. And, uh, as I was like, I'm not going to miss an opportunity to go hang out with the bros. Like I have to, um, so that when I was flying home from Utah, it was a Thursday and I started to feel like a cold coming on. Like I felt tired. And uh, to be honest, like we were staying up super late in Utah and skiing a bunch and, um, just, just partying, having a great time, but you know, not really eating healthy. We're eating like steaks every night and, uh, just wasn't taking care of myself. So I was like, man, I'm probably going to get a little cold. And, uh, Oh boy, it ramped up bad on Friday. My temperature rose. Um, and of course I can't breathe. So my normal breathing, uh, I have, uh, I have 60% of my breathing capacity uh, because of my lung, one lung came up, but my left lung is grown, which is pretty neat. It's actually grown and it's pushed down on my diaphragm. It's actually taken up my right side. Wow. So it's actually getting, it's actually getting bigger, which is super cool. Yeah. It's super cool. But, um, but I have to wear a pulse ox meter because I'm in altitude and it tells me my O2 saturation. And if it drops anywhere below 90%, then it, it, I start to lose like motor functions and cognitive abilities, whatnot. Well, on Friday night, my O2 dropped down to 82%. And I couldn't, I couldn't even move. Like, like my body was in full, like every joint hurt is like having the flu like really bad flu. Uh, but like up and down my back, like it was just chill. My neck started spazzing up. Like all my lymph nodes were expand, like getting swollen up. My armpits hurt. Um, and I had a fever of like 103, 104, but, and then my O2, my O2 was low. So I was like, honey, I gotta go to the, the ER. Like I'm not doing too hot. And I go to the ER <clears throat> and, uh, they, they check all my symptoms and, they put a, like a lidocaine patch on my, on my ribs. Cause I was in so much pain. And, uh, again, they tried to offer me like, do you like, do you want some like dilated? I was like, no, like as long as we can get the fever under control, I'll take some Tylenol. I was like, but uh, the fevers is what I'm worried about. And I need oxygen. Yeah. He's like, uh, so they got me O2 and I got stable again. Um, but when I went home, the aches were so bad and they swabbed me. They stuck this, the big old swab at my nose to test for, uh, the flu. Yeah. And they also said they were going to test me for COVID. I was like, cool. I was like, I'm worried to have the COVID virus. Um, and, uh, cause I didn't want to infect all the guys from kill cliff or military mobility. So I was like, I'm really worried if I have it, I want to make sure I call them. And, uh, so like, yeah, we're going to, so they swabbed me on the 10th and they said they were going to send it off and I should have results in four days. And those four days were miserable, bro. Like I must've slept maybe 23, 22 hours a day. And I could not get out of bed. I couldn't like, I've, and I'm a strong willed guy. Like yeah. I know to walk around, I couldn't move. Uh, my O2 was so bad. I was wheezing. Like I would 
inhale as much as I could to grab air, but it was as if like I couldn't breathe. It was like someone put like rags over my mouth and the oxygen I pulled in didn't suffice. Like I instantly wanted to grab more. And I was like, man, am I getting pneumonia? Um, I haven't got a COVID, uh, I haven't got a call back from the ER. And four days go by and I call the, the hospital back. I was like, hey, I need to find out if I have the virus or not because I'm worried about the guys I was hanging out with. And they told me, they're like, listen, we didn't send your, your, uh, we didn't send your thing off for testing for the COVID. We uh, tested it for flu and tested it for a couple other viruses, but we're so short numbered on these tests that we have. And you're again, a low risk guy. Uh, we're saving it for like people that are in the ICU. that are critically ill. Uh, People who are elderly. It sounds like you really were pretty need. critical, man. And a low risk guy, dude, you got one freaking oh, lung, dude. Man. What the hell? Uh, needless to say, I didn't have to talk anymore because my I was they were on speakerphone. My wife grabbed the phone and she looked at me. She's like, "Honey, go lay down." Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what she said. I have some. I have an idea of what she said to the doctor, but um, my wife woke me up, drove me back to the hospital. <laughs> it stuck another sham up my nose. And uh, the very next day they called us and I've already had the virus for like six days now. They're like, yes, you're hundred percent confirmed with the COVID virus. And then, then things got really scary because uh, I had the CDC call me. I had, um, I had like uh, Garfield County uh, call me. I had like all these health people call me and making sure I'm on mandatory quarantine uh, what airlines did I fly on? How many people have I interacted with? What shopping stores did I go to? Like, and they started pin, like dropping all these pins on like a, on Google Maps, you know, on their on their thing yeah. to see like my my spread rate of like the chance of how many people I infected. And I was like, dude, like this is nuts. And they're like, what's the name of your employer? You know, I need. I, they're like, I need the phone numbers of every single person you hung out with in Utah. What bars and restaurants you guys went to eat at? And I was like. I started feeling awful. I was like, I'm the guy who got all these people sick, but in hindsight, I'm not. Yeah. So some, you know, someone else was probably sick and got me sick, but I felt awful. And, uh, and here you are sitting, trying to, trying to freaking breathe, dude. And this, and this, trying to to answer and then answering these questions and then having this weight of, of that, that feeling of responsibility, that awful feeling, dude, that, I never even thought about the complexity of that, you know, those, those layers of difficulty that went along with that struggle, man. It was tough. And that was worse. My mom, my biological mom, who I reconnected with before the birth of my first son, she calls me up. Um, and I'm, this is like day 10 of the virus and I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm still like, it's hard to breathe. I lost another 30% of my breathing capacity. So I'm down to 30% on my left lung. And I'm on a uh, supplemental O2. Uh, and I'm just trying to just, I'm just getting through day by day. Like I'm not pushed. I'm not doing anything, sitting in a chair, drinking tons of water. My wife's got me drinking like colloidal silver and taking all these weird vitamins. And my mom calls me and she's like, honey, my, my, uh, my boyfriend of 20 years just passed away. Like he died of a heart attack in front of her. And I was just like, Oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Ma. Like, and she's like, well, I'm being evicted from our apartment and I've got nowhere to go. And I've, I've, I've got no friends, no family. Um, and she's like, I don't know what to do. <clears throat> and I looked around and we've never been, you know, we haven't lived in a house for a year. And all of a sudden we get into this valley 
the Lord opens up all these opportunities. He's answering prayers. And then boom, we're in his house. And, and I was like, oh, was like this isn't my house. Like I, I just, all oh, this floods on so quick. This isn't my house. This isn't my property. This is his. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm giving my life to him, all of it. So none of it's mine. He's like, he's like, Ma, you come live with me. And I've got the virus. So I'm like, you know, Ma, you can't come right now because I'm sick and I don't want to get you sick. <clears throat> but there's so much that happened just in that month of March. Now, and then now my mom lives with us. Uh, she just moved in last week. But, uh, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know what I, I, I was trying to figure out why the, why I was going through it or what positive, what I could do positively to help yeah. while having the virus. I was like, there's gotta be something I can do. Yeah. And, um, and the only thing I could do that could think of was use my Instagram page to like help take away fear yeah. of what, you know, people being in quarantine and people being sick and people worrying about this death that's looming over than this virus right that's going to kill you yep. it's like like if i could use my my social media page and i'm not by any means like this big influencer but the people that i am connected with if i could share a message of hope and and light and and just show them that this it's not that bad man like like i've got one lung and i'm a cancer survivor and i've got the virus and we're doing okay if i could share that that love with people and maybe Help them take a deep breath and be like, well, if Dash is going to crush this thing, we're going to be okay. We can yep. be safe about it. I want to have them to do it. And that's what I started doing. So documented all my days of COVID so I could share with people if they had symptoms, how we went through it, what vitamins we took and supplements to help. And of course, and I'm not promoting like any products or anything yeah. on my pages. I'm just sharing like what we did. And man, like... <laughs> The, the community, uh, I hate to say it, like Instagram, right? Like we're in like this weird community of like soft guys. And I started seeing like, um, you know, the, the Navy SEAL Network Instagram page, like had a post of me and like. I saw uh, it too, yeah. Frog, the Frog uh, Frogman uh, Society posted something about me and, and uh, the Swick Warriors page posted something. Like it went all over the place and people started pouring in. I didn't get a following or anything. I got so many DMs of people even in other countries, which was crazy, like South America, uh, Mexico, um, hit me up on my Instagram asking me like, uh, how long does, does the virus last for? What, uh, what are your symptoms? What do you recommend if I, uh, for me, like I feel like I have a cold and like, what do you recommend for me to do? And I told people like, oh, I'd get a pulse ox meter, monitor your O2 sats, make sure you're staying hydrated, you know, quarantine yeah. yourself. And it, it just, I felt so much better. Like, even though I was so sick, yeah. like I was miserable, I'm laying in bed with my phone and I'm reading these messages of people that are terrified, terrified. Yeah. And, I, and then everyone, I use it as, a, as like, if, you know, the Lord works through everything. This is, a, this is something I can share the gospel. Share, I'd share scripture about fear, how the Lord doesn't install fear in your heart yeah. and how, how the, the, the Lord takes care of the animals and, and how, what more is going to do for you and, and uh, just even people that weren't Christian believers, like I had people responding back like, oh, no, yeah, cool. I'm not religious at all, but but thank you for sharing. Like, I got to plant all these seeds, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and that's, a, so that's a, just, that's a common thread with you, Dash. I mean, it's a common thread and it's woven into the fibers of your being that you are for some reason able to take these, these tremendous difficulties and flip your lens on them 
And then think about how you can actually make a positive impact uh, through that circumstance, dude. And, you know, you, you've, you've been doing this all your life, which it, it takes strength is not even the word. I just feel like it's just part of the fibers of dash. It's just like, it's you, man. Like strength doesn't, doesn't describe what you have been able to overcome, to pull through and, and to accomplish, uh, and the way you've been able to help other people, you know, the, the story of you um, going through this virus, man, and this struggle, the, the reach, well, you, you'll probably never understand what the reach was because I've used you as an example to like everyone around me that is scared to death, that's sitting there and the media has got them so afraid um, on so many different levels that they're just lit. They can't even sleep at night. They're so fearful. And I tell them the story of you, you know, and, and I, I, I use that because you put it out there for us to, to be able to use. And, uh, and the reach, man, we'll, we'll never understand what the reach, what, what the reach is probably. We'll never see the, the significance of the impact, but, um, it, it, it is substantial brother. And, you know, that message of, that message of hope that you just shared with me and uh, that, that just, I, I wish, I wish you could go on every major media channel on earth and just tell that portion of your story, man. I mean, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be praying for that as a matter of fact, like, <laughs> You know, because it's just, man, it just so much needs to be heard, man. But my strength doesn't come from me alone. And I think you and I both know that. It's, it, especially to like then maybe the non-believers that might be listening to it. There's no supernatural spirit strength you get through going through adversity, right? You don't get this overwhelming, like I can do everything. It really, if, if, you, if I cut it down to the stone, the Lord really, really holds me by the armpits and puts the wind at my back and the comfort in my ears. He takes the lactic acid out of my muscles just so I can take another step. Yeah. It's nothing of my being that I could possibly do even in my mind because my mind is diluted. And, and I, I, to say that I don't want to give up is, is a lie. And there, there are so many times in my life where I just don't want to do it anymore. I tell my wife probably maybe five times a week that I just don't want to be in this pain anymore. Like I don't want to suffer and I'm constantly suffering every day from my thoracic pain and the surgery complications. Like I, there's things that I, I have a lot of, I can't say I can't do them cause I'll do them anyway, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of trouble with these things. And you know, when we ask it, when we pray for the Lord to take these things away, it's not the right, it's not, it's not in our timing, right? It's in the Lord's timing and he has a purpose and a time for everything. But the strength really comes from, you know, when, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to, sorry, I'm honored that you say, like, I'm, you know, my testimony is powerful and you see so much, you know, strength in my story. But to be all honest, I couldn't, have, the, there's a spirit inside of me that's not my own that, that causes me to rise back up, yep. to, to rise against adversity, to, to want to be a, a bullet shield for someone who's, who is laying under fire. Like there's, there's, it's not the actions of my own because 
my own personal being is actually like this. I had, I'm not a coward by any means, but like, I don't want to be in a hostile environment. Like I, I want to be comfortable and calm and cool and lay in a cabana and drink a Mai Tai and yeah. just watch my kids. Go. Like those, 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 that's, that's my inner being. Like, as I know myself, but that's not the actions that I portray. And it's not by any means of myself. When you, when you open up your heart and you realize the sacrifice that Jesus laid on the cross for you and the relationship that you build with him, when you understand the depth of his love and you want to be a replic- replication of it and you ask him to work through you as a vessel, you realize that yourself is a tool. And he have, like a hammer has no strength in itself, but yet it's a strong tool. It can drive a nail through the you know, hardest wood. But a hammer laying there on its own, you can really do nothing. It, it's just a tool. Yep. But the Lord can do anything with that tool. And he can drive those nails through. And he provides the strength in that hammer, right? Like I am the tool, but he is my strength. Yep. And he's the reason I, I can go forth and do these things. And it's for some, it's for some purpose. I just don't know what it is. I have no idea. Um, I, I give all glory to him. I'm happy to do his work, whatever he wants me to do. I just don't know what it is. But um, I really don't have the strength in me, to be honest. Like, make it through Swick School, that was all him. For some reason, I laughed through everything. I thought it was funny. Um, my life is, growing up as a child, like, I didn't feel any, any suffering or while I was going through it. When I reflect back on it, I feel a lot of hurt. But I could have never made it through those things. I probably should have been dead uh, hanging out with the crowds that I was hanging out with and the people that surrounded me there's a good chance I would have ended up doing drugs and end up just like them. Like he had a certain plan. He opened up certain doors. He brought angels into my life to pull me out and save me and adopt me and foster me. Like he has this whole thing orchestrated. And when you have that trust in him, when you realize everything he's already done and you have that trust and you know that if he's got me this far, he's going to carry me the whole way. Like everything else, the fear is gone. There is none. 100 the fear of death. Yep. there's no there's no fear of death we're gonna die but we have we have a promise of eternal life through jesus yep and that's okay yeah and, and i think i think that's that's the key thing dash is people uh, that was perfect man and people need to understand that that uh we don't think that we have a guarantee to make it through these things we don't have a guarantee to make it through these things um yeah. but but uh by the grace of God, and as long as he still has a purpose for you, you are going to continue to press forward, man. And um, and just from my perspective, Dash, I mean, just from brother to brother, man, uh, I don't, I feel that you have this, you have this massive purpose awaiting you. And you say you haven't found it yet. But it's it's coming, man. Like it is coming, and it's going to be more magnificent than anything you could have ever dreamed up or imagined in your entire life, without a doubt. Um, and 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 there's going to be a definitive moment, I imagine, and maybe I'm speaking prophetically now. But there's going to be a definitive moment in your life that you're going to realize the purpose of all of these things, and and it's just going to be a defining moment, man. And I can't wait to see where you go, where God takes you. Um, and, and I cannot wait to see your reach 
and 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 what the heights that God is going to take you to, man, it's just going to be amazing following your journey. And uh, I'm so thankful to be just a little bitty, itty, tiny part of it. And to be able to spend oh, this. You're a huge part of man, it. Man, to be able to spend this time with you and you've here now, you've dedicated over three hours uh, to our audience, to me as a, as a brother. And um, that is just a tremendously valuable gift to me, and I, I don't take it lightly. Um, I can't thank you enough, man. And I want to ask you um, for people that obviously want to follow you along this journey, like I'm going to be doing. Where can they find you, man? Where where can they where can they follow you? Where can they hear more from you, man? Yeah. Um, well, my Instagram. Um, it's pretty much where I do my, most of my posting. Um, it's dash in a van. <clears throat> um, and then it's the same thing on my Facebook page. It's still soft van vlog, but, um, you can always D- DM me, even if you don't want to like follow, follow my posts or anything, but if you had people had any questions about my testimony or, or going through COVID or going through cancer or getting, getting their lungs removed, I mean, I would, I would take great pleasure in, in, and sharing uh, some some uh, just some relief for that for the people that are going through because I know there's tons of people going through that kind of stuff and they just want to reach out and, and ask me a question or anything I'd be happy more than happy to to help them out and 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 I and I challenge you man to keep telling your keep telling your stories wherever you possibly can dash because what God's gonna do. Um, and I've seen him work it in my life, what God will actually do is he will hone these stories down for you to where you can get to the point where you can get all of these points across to your audience within a short span of time. The Holy Spirit hones them down, man. He really just sharpens each one of those lessons for you. And then you get to a point where you're like, you can stand before a crowd of 10,000 people and you've got 30 minutes and you can just boom, 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 boom. And then you, you, you get just the, the impact is, and it's all done through him. It's all, he, he hones that for you, you know? And I mean, I have a vision, dude, that we will, before our lives are over, that we will pack an entire stadium, an entire sports arena out. We will pack it out, fill every single seat under the banner of Christ, not under the banner of a church or a religion or any of that, under the banner of Christ, that we'll be able to do that, man. And uh, and I, I see you as being part of that vision. I mean, I can just see you on that on that platform in that dag- in that daggone arena with 10,000 plus 20,000 people under the banner of Christ and just the Holy Spirit speaking through you and you just delivering uh what you just delivered to all of us and uh dude uh, I just I don't know I just got a feeling about it man I love it brother it's awesome I love well, it man cuz that's if that's if that's the way it goes then I better take some some speaking classes because my Hawaii speaking isn't so good. You don't need it, man. You don't need it. I'm telling you, man, people are hungry. You know this as well as I do, Dash. People are hungry for something that is raw and something that is real. And uh, and that's what we are, man. We, You know, you're, you're not, you're, you didn't come on here for, 
for any uh, fame or glory or, or any um, anything for yourself. You're just being you, brother. And you know that's what that, that's my that's my whole thing too. Is is just being raw and real, and that's what people gravitate toward because there's so much noise in in the world right now. There's so much stuff that's fake. There's so many lies floating around. There's so many people that are trying to grab attention for themselves and for no other reason, uh, for their own self-gratification. And um, people are getting to the point now, I think, on social media and, and everywhere else where they, they're seeing through that crap, dude. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they hunger for just somebody that can come on and talk real with them, brother. And, uh, shoot, that's what, that's what you've done here today. We're going to get this. I'm going to get this episode out um, as quickly as possible. And, you know, this to me, this was a really, really high level look on your life. And, you know, this is kind of what I wanted, but this, man, this could have been broken down. We could have broke this down literally into four podcasts. This is a high level look. Um, And I just, I think that there's, there's going to be opportunities in the future for us to really break these downs and really, really talk about the lessons and the impact that, that it, it was on your wife and even the marriage aspect of it, man, there's just so much more that, that we could have covered. There's so much more value um, that you have, I'm just, I'm fired up, man. <laughs> it's awesome. So thank you, Chad. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I enjoyed it, Dash. Um, you know, I, I got, I miss, I, I miss your wife's cookies. <laughs> I miss them too, man. She hasn't <laughs> been cooking any lately, so not cookies anyways. So she's got, she's, she's, uh, being pretty healthy right now, but I don't know, brother. Um, we'll stay in touch. Of course, I'll let you know when this thing goes out. Um, we'll push it out on all of our, you know, social media stuff, and um, and uh, hopefully it will. I'll hope and pray that that we reach hundreds of thousands of people with this, and uh, be praying for you, um, not only for your guidance, but for your your safety and your strength and and wisdom and all of those things, brother, because. Uh, because you've got a, a powerful place in his kingdom, man. I truly believe that. Thank you, Chad. I'd appreciate you, man. All right, brother. All right, guys, this is the Three of Seven podcast. Enough said. This podcast was produced by Your Social Gathering. We hope you enjoyed. If you are looking to increase your digital marketing presence or elevate your digital assets, check us out at yoursocialgathering.com.